Welcome to a Rocky Start Podcast. I'm Brian Argot. On a Rocky Start Podcast, I talk sports with the guests, but I do much more than that. I get into the guest background on what got them started in sports. And today, I'm bringing on a past guest. His name is Michael Duarte. He's a writer for NBC Sports out here in Los Angeles. He covers the Los Angeles Lakers, the Los Angeles Dodgers, and he covers the USC Trojans. And he is really hyped up for this weekend about the Trojans chance at going to the final four. So let's get into this episode. Michael Duarte talks a lot about the Dodgers here today and their spring training, what's been going on with them and their expectations for this coming season after making that big signing of Trevor Bauer and a lot more. I hope you guys all enjoy this episode. This message is brought to you by the card shop Evansville. Are you looking to get into the exploding sports cards market, but you don't want to cut too deep into your wallet? Well, I have the perfect solution for you. Ken over at the Card Shop Evansville on Facebook runs the most fun, most affordable, and best yielding breaks on the interwebs. And the buy-ins only start at $35. If you are looking to take a plunge into the card market, this is the most affordable venue I've seen. And as a customer of their product, myself, I can attest to the level of service is top notch. You guys go over there on Facebook, check out the card shop Evansville and see what they're all about. And here's your interview with Michael Duarte. What's going on, Michael? How you doing, bud? I am good, Brian. Thanks for having me on. Well, thanks for coming on the show again. For those of you listening, uh, Michael's, uh, I think you're my second episode back your third episode back in the day. I admittedly have no idea, but I definitely have been on the show before, and we delved deep into my backstory, which was kind of cool. I don't get to do that very often on these things, oh. so I was excited about that. Thank you for doing that. Oh, man. Well, that's what the pod's all about, diving into backstories, and the other great thing is, is now we get to talk like some news going on. We have sports back at the time. We were debating, I think, on if sports is going to come back or not. But were we at the not- time? Yeah, so I think I think when we came on, when you came on, it was July. Basketball okay. had just a, yeah. Basketball so it was, was like just coming back. It was like we that. went from nothing to everything at the exact same time, um, which was exciting for me, but also overwhelming. I have to admit, um, probably exciting for for a lot of fans, right, who don't have to like be on ten Zoom calls a day and you know, write articles and stories and just be on top of everything. But um, for fans of all the professional sports, uh, I I don't remember when it was, but at some point in October, it was the first time in history there was something like 10 professional sports playing all at the same time. And most of them in the postseason because they were continuing on from the season that almost ended. So it was pretty exciting, um, to be honest with you, to have all of that going on at the same time. I know. I think I last had spoke with you. You were uh, at the Dodgers World Series in Houston at the time. Correct. Correct. Yep. And and you were just uh, you were just driving back, I think, from the game seven. Well, but and- we had talked about that before. You texted me because you had heard the the Walker Bueller pants stuff on the radio. That's right. I think on, Dan I think, Patrick. I think on Dan Patrick. <laughs> yeah. Which thankfully you you brought my attention to, and I went back and listened to it. Dan did call me the hammer. Dan seemed like kind of defending me. Whereas most people on that show were not, but that's all right. Yeah, no, Dan was uh, defending you, I think. I, that's why I thought it was funny because, like, Dan, you know, being in the industry all his life, he was like, you know, he thought it was comical, but uh, 
Bueller did not. <laughs> Bueller, Bueller did not, but like, here's the thing: like, okay. Bueller and I are friends. Like, that's what like nobody gets, and you understand. I've had a long, long relationship with Bueller. The day he was drafted, I was one of the first handful of people he spoke to on the phone and did an interview with. So Bueller and I go way back. We I know so much about that guy. We have a good relationship. So, like I said, I think he felt comfortable dunking on me in that post game <laughs> press conference, like shutting down wherever I was going with with a question I didn't even get to ask. Um, because of our relationship where like that was Ken Rosenthal, like on the field after the game or something. I don't think he does that. Um, And that's kind of what people like don't understand. A lot of people were like, read the room, know the guy you're interviewing. Well, I do, you know, know the guy that I'm interviewing very, very well. And that's why he felt comfortable doing that. And I didn't care really that, you know, that had happened. And I've texted him and talked to him since so like we're cool there's no there's nothing wrong but he's like man we won the world series it's cool (laughs) exactly and uh it provided fodder for a lot of people which was an unintentional an unintended consequence of that was to provide fodder for people you know in the postseason but for people in the next day who didn't want to talk about a dodger collapse they got to talk about that instead and it went to many levels because you know, I asked that and like minutes later, an Atlanta writer, I'm assuming, or some sort of national writer asked Max Fried about Bueller's pants. And then it was like, really? Like, that's that's OK. But what I just told him it was trending was not. It was crazy. Um, I got death threats after that. Uh, well, yeah, it was that, it was nuts. It was nuts. Um, you know, T-shirts were T-shirts were made up. You know, everybody was talking about it. Uh, so it was pretty it was a pretty interesting couple of days in the news cycle. Oh. oh, wow, man. No, I'm sorry to hear that, dude. That's not cool. Yeah, it's, I don't know, to be expected, I guess, although it shouldn't be, shouldn't be. Yeah, no, it definitely should not be, and it's not not cool at all um, with everything. But now that uh, now that we're moving into spring training, do, do you, is covering baseball last season to now, is that going to change for you? Or even with basketball, has that changed? Basketball, not not. Yeah, I guess I guess everything has changed to be honest with you. I was trying to sugarcoat it and and be like there is some sort of resumption of normality going on and to a certain extent there is, meaning I was able to actually go cover baseball games live uh during the 2020 season at Dodger Stadium, albeit in an empty stadium without fans, without concessions, without uh all of those things. Um and then with the Lakers, again, I'm able to, in the 2021 season here, go to Staples Center, cover games live, uh, be able to, to do the, some, of the, some of the similar things that we we're able to do. Um, the seating arrangement is, was different and is different still with the Lakers. Uh, there's no fans still at Staples Center, whereas there should be fans coming up here for Dodger Stadium uh, on opening day on, on April 9th. So right. those things are different, but yet we're still tied to Zoom calls. So kind of like you and I are virtually, you know, hosting this podcast and doing that now. And, and the pandemic has allowed technology to expand in that way where you don't have to be somewhere. You can be remote. I think it uh, expands everyone's horizons as far as what we're able to do as far as content, which is good. Uh, but at the same time, we are losing and maybe we were headed in this direction anyways as a society, but we're losing the intimacy of one-on-one relationships, face-to-face contact, um, 
you know, asking questions in person, seeing the reaction on somebody's face, seeing the tone and the context that somebody's asking a question to you. And then more than that, what I miss the most about the way I cover sports is, yeah, I'll be involved in the big scrums for LeBron James or Clayton Kershaw after he makes an incredible start. But then after that, I'm the guy that kind of walks around the locker room and talks to Kyle Kuzma as he's getting dressed or, you know, putting on his jewelry Um, or I'll walk around the Dodgers clubhouse and I'll talk to a guy that nobody's talking to. And we might not even talk the game or baseball. We may just talk, you know, their hobbies, how their family's doing, what movies they're watching and share notes. And that's the biggest thing about coverage that I miss. It is those relationships and not being able to, um, grow them, mature them and build them and work on them because I just, I just feel so distant from all of these people that I've been so close to for so many years. Right. Yeah. And do you feel like that's going to change like, probably in the next five years, like reporters being able to cover the players inside the locker room? There's, I've had a past guest on who think that, you know, player reporters shouldn't talk to players in the locker room because, you know, it feels like they're invading their privacy in certain ways. But I know that's how it's been done pretty much ever since reporters have been covering uh, players. Yeah, it's good. That's a great. That's a great question, and it's one that's been discussed and argued about ad nauseum. I would say over the last year, maybe. Um, I've talked about it on my podcast. I've talked about it on guests on others' podcasts. It is a great question, and it's one that it is uncertain at this point. And I can tell you both sides of the fence, and then I can tell you where I land. So there is the side that that there will be a return to normalcy. Reporters and, and journalists will be allowed back in locker rooms, allowed back in clubhouses once, you know, we've reached herd immunity. Most people are vaccinated and things, you know, are, are relatively returned to normal. There is the hope that that's what occurs. I don't. And then there's the other side of it, which is journalists and reporters will never have access into a locker room or a clubhouse again, that close proximity, that face to face. That's the other side of the scope. There are people who truly believe that. And there are people who truly believe it will get back to normal. Um, I, I'm hoping that if I was in charge, I'm hoping that there would be some sort of hybrid, if that makes sense. Meaning, meaning, so one of the benefits of zoom for example, that I can say is that when a team travels, so let's say the Lakers, for example, which tonight they're playing on the road in New Orleans. And so normally during a non-pandemic season, Brian, I would not be traveling to New Orleans for game 40-something of the regular season. But... And so that would mean that after the game and even prior to the game, I would not be able to ask a question to Frank Vogel, to LeBron James, to Montrez Harold, Dennis Schroeder. These guys will be playing in the games that, w- that would be available to the media after the game. Right. The beat writers that do travel, there's a few of them that still do. They would get access to those guys. They would be asking the questions. So if there's a question that I really wanted to ask that none of the beat writers do ask, it just doesn't get answered. And 
the quotes that I'm able to pull for an article or whatever would have to be whatever is being broadcast by Spectrum Sportsnet or whatever, you know, interviews are doing the, the game. Uh, with Zoom now, when they're traveling on the road, we are all available. We can all go in the call. We can all ask those questions. I hope that the technology at some point, I understand it'll be difficult to do right. because now they just sit down in front of a computer screen and do the Zoom calls. Whereas if we go back to normalcy, there's going to be reporters face-to-face. There's going to be cameras that are going to want to record their reactions and stuff. Uh, and so we need to find a way to, to have a hybrid, to have a little bit of both, because if they could still do the Zoom calls when they're on the road, that allows reporters that are not physically there in person to still get questions in, which I think is important and I would love to see happen across all sports. Um, and that would mean there would still be a Zoom for home home games as well right. that reporters who are not physically there can jump on. But then I could still have face-to-face in-person access. And to be honest with you, you know, I think, I truly believe that we will be allowed access to these players ag- again. Um, whether it's in the locker room or not, I still think we're going to get it. Whether it's in a press room and press conference yeah. environment yeah. and we're socially distanced, if that's what they want to do, or if it's in the hallway or something, I do believe that we're going to get access to these players again. And I believe why is because unions journalist unions around here, for example, the NFL Writers Association, the Baseball Writers Association, I believe they will try to hold the leagues and the commissioners feet to the fire and say, no, you know what I mean? We need to be able to do our jobs as, you know, beat writers for these major newspapers, for these major networks, ESPN, NBC, ABC, et cetera. Um, And we can't do all this from a zoom call that has 50 to a hundred people on it from all over the world that can get the same stuff that we can get because those guys need to be the guys that have access that nobody else can get. And they're going to hopefully fight for that. Uh, the, the argument against that is that somehow these leagues have enough money. They'll just pay off the unions and say, you're going to get what you're going to get. Like you said, uh, we're going to keep these players privacy. We're going to keep them from not getting sick and all of these things. But I mean, I don't see so far before the pandemic that there was a case that a journalist gave a player COVID-19, whereas you could argue with a guy like Rudy Gobert, for example, uh, he went out and got it and then could have given it to journalists when he was touching all the microphones and stuff like that. And it's almost a more danger for them. So I hope I hope it goes back to to answer your question in long-winded fashion, I hope it does go back to some sort of hybrid where we still have this technology to be able to ask them questions remotely, but that we still are able to get in-person, face-to-face access where we can build these relationships and solidify them. I, I think for sure, like what you mentioned is I really do predict that is going to happen. Like when you are at home games, I think you are going to have some sort of access to the players, like the one-on-one, especially like you're mentioning, like at a Dodger game, you know, you have a g- good relationship with Walker Buehler. He's going to probably want to talk to you over, you know, other people. And there's going to be have that one-on-one interaction, right? Or that might be a one-on-one Zoom meeting instead of him talking to the whole the whole crowd. He's talking to you. So you could get that exclusive piece of content that you would need, right? Yeah. So, for example, we're starting to see it kind of happen, right? Um, Major League Baseball in spring training is happening right now as we're recording this podcast. And... There are fans at the spring training games 
uh, albeit I believe 25% capacity at Camelback Ranch in Arizona. Uh, and there's going to be fans when we come into Dodger Stadium uh, to start the MLB season on April 9th at Dodger Stadium. And so we're seeing a little bit of it. And fans are not allowed to spectate around the backfields where these players practice and, and do drills every day. So uh, that is the way it is right now. I believe that'll change once everyone's vaccinated and normal, you'll be allowed to go back there again. Right. And reporters were, there are reporters and beat writers who are at spring training live. Now our company NBC reached out to the PR department for the Dodgers and said, do we get access to the players? Is there a reason for us to travel? I've been to seven straight spring trainings, Brian, um, in Arizona. It's something I actually look forward to yeah. every year just because it's, it, gets, it gets me away. Um, the way the spring training schedule works, most, mostly everything is really early in the morning and done by like early afternoon. So I have the entire early uh, late evening and late afternoon to, uh, you know, go hiking or go to dinner or do things that I normally won't be able to do once the season starts and the games are all at night. So that's, I, I really truly enjoy it. I get to go to different stadiums. It's a much more relaxed atmosphere. Players are less stressed. They'll talk yeah. to you. They'll share stories with you. You can get interviews and access that you normally can't get. So I miss that. Uh, but we asked them, would we be able to get any access like that? They said, no, it's not worth coming. So this is the first year for me personally in seven years that I didn't go to physically spring training. But what I've seen now as the Dodgers have had an opportunity to test it out, I guess, is that when they're playing at home at Camelback Ranch and the way they do the media access during spring training, and this has always been the case, is once the starters come out, they make them available to the media almost immediately. So let's say Clayton Kershaw pitches four innings and then comes out just because of a pitch count, just because he needs to get his work in as he builds up for the regular season. Right. By the fifth inning of the actual spring training game, the media is interviewing Clayton Kershaw. Now, ordinarily that would be in person and – during the pandemic, it's been on Zoom. And the same thing with the position players. If Mookie Betts, Chris Taylor, and Corey Seager come out after the fifth inning, we'll get them by the sixth inning and have a chance to interview them and ask them questions while the game's going on. During the regular season, that's not the case. All of it's after the game, about 15, 20 minutes after the game. But during spring training, you can do it during the middle of the game. So what I've seen happen is uh, occasionally the Dodgers will take a player and make him available in person, outside, outside the locker room and outside the stadium to select media that is physically there. Usually like Kirsten Watson of, of Spectrum Sportsnet LA, uh, David Vassay of, of the Dodgers radio, uh, the, the beat writers that are actually there and present. So they will be there physically in person, socially distanced, asking the questions live right. uh, and being able to interact with the player while it is also still on Zoom. So, you know, if anybody wanted to chime in and ask a question, they can do that. But when they're on the road, it's Zoom exclusive. They're not giving like in-person access. So that's a little small taste of what we're seeing, as I was telling you, like a little bit of a hybrid, right? It right. makes sense if I'm a journalist and I'm physically in Staples Center, that if they feel, you know, the players are all vaccinated, the journalists are all vaccinated and we're able to interact with these people again, it makes sense if I'm physically there that the people that are physically there and present can get 
face-to-face access, right? even if it's socially distanced or in the press conference room, like I said, whereas everybody else uh, can still be tuning in remotely that isn't able to be there. So I think with what we're seeing with the Dodgers in spring training is a little taste of probably what's to come, some sort of hybrid of both. I, I like that. I like that kind of model too, what they're trying to test out and stuff, because I, I do feel it's important for, you know, you for journalists and reporters to get that one-on-one time because that is when a player is more comfortable i believe than actually in front of 20 reporters or a zoom call with you know a whole bunch of different people when you actually have that one-on-one there there's just still stories you don't hear about what they did in the off season for instance you know so like if kershaw maybe went cliff jumping you know and did something like you know they'll talk about stuff like that and those are the kind of stories that won't get out necessarily because they're not going to be asked that in that sort of um, in that narrative or, you know, being around it. So I, I definitely like that a lot. So what they do. Yep. I will say, I will say as a humble brag and I don't want to, I'm not bragging, but as a humble brag, um, you know, I get to, so first of all, the way the and I'm not trying to criticize the Lakers, but the way the Lakers during the regular season would allow LeBron James availability to the media after the game was a nightmare um you have to wait in this massive line people are pushing and shoving to try to get in and move their way forward and then as soon as the locker room is open it's like a mad dash to get to lebron james's locker where you camp up and wait for him to speak uh it's it's really a a chaotic free-for-all and there's a lot of pushing and shoving and and just behavior that should not in my opinion, be happening when you can easily bring this man into the press conference room that you have set up right next door. Uh, But for some reason, probably to cater to the player, this is how they do it. So, you know, people are pushing and shoving and crawling and trying to get over everybody on top of each other. They're all trying to get access to LeBron. And then half the time LeBron comes out, puts ice on his knees, sticks his feet in an ice bath and sits down with his shirt off or a towel on. And this is how he wants to do media, which is not, he's not standing up. He's not allowing people, you know, to get better access. It's, 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 it's not conducive to a good environment, but um, my long story short, after he's done doing that kind of media and, and the chaos leaves and people get their quotes or they record what they want, I'll stick around and say, what wine are you drinking tonight? You know what I mean? How's Bronny doing? And He'll share with me what wine he likes. I'll tell him what wine I'm drinking. We'll we'll sh- share recommendations. You know, I might say, "Hey, did you hear what the Dodgers did today? You hear Mookie Betts hit three home runs or something?" He he's a big baseball fan. He might not know that. So those 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 small intimate moments with these superstar players, um, where you can just kind of casually kick it and just talk, is right. what I miss the most, and I would need to have back at least for me. Um, even if like, it's something you'll never hear, like you said, a story, even if I never tell you the story of what LeBron James did in his 60 day off season or what Kershaw did, I know something and I'm building a rapport with a player in a yeah. relationship that is important to my future as a journalist, uh, rather than, you know, just the five questions we get to ask him in zoom before they cut it off. Yeah. Cause you can't build that relationship without being in person. I mean, it's just it's really hard to get someone one on one face to face in front of a camera. It, it feels like, but when you're there in the environment, it's a lot easier. And I'm sure they feel much more at ease. And like, oh man, I got to hop in front of this, you know, or 
even if it's on their phone, whatever, I got to take this call. You know, it's, it's just a different kind of setting. The, yeah, that's the one fear that I worry about in all of this. And then we can segue to something else is that the players, I'm assuming love it. I'm assuming the players love that they don't have their locker room invaded by 30, 40, 50 media members, you know, everywhere. Uh, worry about their stuff being taken or stolen, like, you know, Tom Brady's jersey infamously in a Super Bowl a few years ago. Now, right. thankfully, I've never heard even during normal times of that really happening, but um, outside of that. But um, I think they, and, and first of all, if you're a player after a game, I'm pretty sure every player is available in, in almost any sport. I know the NHL is kind of like, these are the people we're going to make you available. Same thing with like, MLS and soccer, yeah. you know, who do you, they'll, they'll say to the media, who do you want? The media will throw out a few names. PR will go and grab them. And that's who we get. But in basketball and baseball, anyone who's at their locker room, you're allowed to go talk to, uh, yeah. regardless of the situation. And if other people right. want to come great, but that's, if you're there, I think there's a window where you have to be available to the media as, as mutually negotiated in the CBAs. Yeah. And so, you know, you're there with the zooms. That's not the case. You get whoever the PR people decide to give you and you can't really complain about it or, or, or take it. And so for, for let's say baseball, for example, you know, Corey Seager's made available, especially with how many t- players are on the team and especially during spring training once a week at best, Oh wow. maybe once every 10 days. And for him, that's great. Whereas during a regular season, he'd have to stand there by his locker every single day and answer questions if that's what we want. So I think the players love this yeah. and they're going to push to have it remain uh, moving forward. And that's what I fear because uh, they have a lot of powers we've seen in the player empowerment movement, especially in the NBA. And so my fear would be that the leagues would cater to their players and their product uh, over the journalists. That's not good though for a fan perspective either. The the fans get less; they get less news. They get less, inter- and with the way things have been going, I mean, I love basketball, but for instance, in basketball, it's at its height right now with how popular it is. But there's so much complaining. There is a lot. The games are taking longer now. The last two minutes of a game, sometimes with the replay, with the fouls, it could take. 20 minutes sometimes for the last two minutes of a fourth quarter and which is ridiculous it takes away the momentum it takes away the fun like you know something that you might thought would be oh you know i'm gonna this is gonna be done in five minutes like oh let me call you back and then 30 you know 30 minutes later this game's still going on you know that that's something like i would kind of expect from a nfl game or something but or you know even a baseball game in the ninth inning but like that is kind of you know gonna push the needle a little bit and then now, now that uh, reporters or anything won't get access, and you know the players are getting more, I feel like there has to be uh, a line, and like you know there can't be can't be going past that line as much as it already kind of is. Yeah, I feel like though basketball has always been that way. Unfortunately, uh, the last two minutes of a game can take thirty minutes, uh, and it really just depends on a team strategy. If they want to play the foul game and, and just drag it out and take timeouts, and then you got to review every out of bounds call and stuff, like that's just what happens now. Whereas the other sports have found ways to kind of speed it up. Um, I believe 
maybe not the NFL, but the Major League Baseball, at least, you know, with the pitcher having to pitch three innings and face three batters now, excuse me, not three innings, face three batters. Yeah. That changes the, the tone and st- speed. They're adding like shot clocks basically for the pitcher to have to throw the next pitch between. So they're trying to find ways to speed that up at the end of the game, but basketball is getting slower with technology and you're going to find out maybe if they're going to find a way to speed that up. Um, I'm not sure what that has to do with us interviewing them after like the access we're going to get, but um, you're right. If a game goes way longer, they're just not going to want to even more reason why they're not going to want to speak with us. I can tell you Friday nights at Dodger stadium, Prior to the pandemic, like good luck as a journalist trying to get anybody because the players know it's Friday night fireworks night. (laughs) And if they go after the game and take their shower and get their treatment in and get their post game meal and then go back to their locker and change and then meet up with their family and then leave, they're going to be stuck in that firework traffic. Right. So what they do is either they take a quick shower or they don't shower at all and they get the heck out of there within 10 minutes so that they miss all of the traffic. So while people are watching fireworks, the players are taken off and leaving. And so as a journalist, you miss, you you walk in there after talking to Dave Roberts, who's made available about 15 minutes after the game. And then he usually speaks for about 15 minutes. So now it's 30 minutes. The fireworks are just concluding and it's a ghost town in the yeah. Dodgers clubhouse. Like good luck finding anybody who stuck around to sit in traffic. So um, yeah, I can tell you that in those long games and stuff like that, players, you know, they don't want to be around. They want to get out of there as fast as possible. And so if zoom allows them to do that, then yeah, they're probably going to want to push for that. Uh, more than likely though, all of this will be negotiated in the next CBA. So once things can yes. return to normal, it will go back to the existing agreements. And then if the players want to, fight for this, make this an issue they fight for uh, in the next CBAs, which is coming up with Major League Baseball after this season. Um, yeah, As one example, uh, that's where it will be negotiated and, and brought in because that's when the two sides can go to the table. And if one side wants something, the other side doesn't, that's how you come to these agreements. So like, for example, let's take baseball. If the players say, hey, we really like Zoom, uh, we really would love to not have these guys in our locker room in our clubhouse. So let's keep the physical post-game press conference and make it available via Zoom as well. Um, and that's what we want as a players union. And the owners are like, well, we want expanded playoffs because it makes more money for us. This is where you get things done. And this is why uh, the players union refused to negotiate this offseason prior to spring training for any of the things the owners wanted, because they know if they concede anything now, they have nothing to negotiate. They have no leverage at the bargaining table after this season when a new CBA will be uh, negotiated. So uh, that's why they didn't do anything. And these are all things. And I promise you probably, you know, zoom calls and reactions with the media will be something that is in their back pocket in these negotiations this winter. No, it's going to be interesting. Yeah. There's a lot going to be fighting at the table for the collective bargaining agreement with baseball. You know, I mean, this, you know, the universal DH is going to be one. Um, what else is there? Expanded playoffs. Um, and then the, the probably the extra innings rules will yeah. be in there. Uh, so, yeah, it'll all yeah. in. They might even shorten the season. It might you, even be something that we'll see. Are you a fan of that? The extra innings uh, rule, like uh, anything after the ninth inning, man on second. So I will say that. 
Me personally, I feel I'm more of a baseball traditionalist, but that's just when it comes to baseball because outside of it, I embrace technology everywhere. Anything that makes my life better, easier, faster, simpler, and allows me to dedicate more time to something else that could be more productive, I'm in favor of. So I'm in favor of the technology in sports as well. And I will say that originally I, I thought the extra inning rule was very silly and I was against it. After having seen it live and during the pandemic here, I'm now in favor of it in the regular season. Absolutely not in the postseason when games can be decided, championships won, seasons ended. But during the regular season, 100%. And I'll tell you why. I can count on you know one hand. Obviously, the World Series game, the most exciting, and that would continue. Yeah. But... I've been at like a regular season game number 17 in San Diego that started at one o'clock in the afternoon and I'm there for seven hours and it's in 17 or 18 innings and the game is still going. And I can tell you from a journalist perspective, like fans can leave. We cannot. And fans can still probably go to concessions if they need a drink or, you know, cup of coffee or something to pick them up. All of our food and everything is cut off most places like after the first inning. Oh, wow. So, you know, in this situation, we've gone five, six hours without anything to eat. We can't go get something. We can't order something. Uh, and, and and it's just, it makes our life miserable. So as journalists, yes, the fact that you can put a runner on second and this game can end quickly, I like. Now, the other thing was without the DH, so I'm against the universal DH, but for that, that extra innings rule. Um, the reason I'm against the universal DH is because I've always loved the national league game. I think it's more strategic. I think managers are playing chess, not checkers. I think you constantly have to be thinking how we're going to approach this pitcher. Do we do double switches? You have to remove pitchers early. If you want to bat in for them when it's, I think the national league game is a much more strategic game, uh, and a mental game. And I like that better. Uh, so, what I saw last season with the universal DH is there wasn't much strategy with that because it was gone. But when the strategy kicked in all the time and it became a mental chess game was when there was a runner on second to start extra innings and the, the talks of, do you sacrifice the very first batter up to get that guy to third? So you have two chances to bring him home. Uh, Is that the strategy? Is that the better to do it when you're the away team or the home team? Uh, What are the numbers saying? What are the stats saying? Uh, who's up to bat. So I loved all the strategy involved when a runner was on second to start the next inning, especially because whoever made the last out is the guy that starts at second. And so, uh, you know, yeah. it could be someone fast accidentally. It could be someone slow accidentally, and that changes the makeup of it. So I loved the strategy involved with doing it. Uh, I think for the regular season, it should continue, especially to speed up games. So we're not having 18, 19, 20 inning regular season games. Yeah. So I'm all I'm all for uh, doing that. And I also like that they said that whoever's pitching, uh, you know, does not go against their ERA in that situation. I think that's important, too, because those things are important to pitchers when they go, you know, into arbitration and into free agency as far as, you know, extra money they can make. So as long as it's fair and equal, I like it. Yeah, no, definitely. And I, I do like uh, that opinion on having it in the regular season because, I mean, for even players spending seven hours at a game and then having to go back and play it the next day, it's that's brutal, you know? And Most players I know, though, Brian, are against it. I'll be honest with you. 
because to them, that's not how they grew up with the uh, game. That's not how they were raised. They say it's not baseball to them. There are very few players I know who are in favor of it. Seems more like managers, journalists, fans, you know, have their own opinions, but it seems like those are the people that are more in favor of it than the players themselves. Did, did the players like, I know some players probably like the university H, but from what you heard around the league, did a lot of players like it? Most players I know do like the universal DH are in favor of it. I see more and more managers, even in the national league, like Dave Roberts now in favor of it. Um, So, so it's really funny to me because the argument that Dave Roberts has made and that some of the players have made. So the funny thing is like, I would say the ones that are against it are pitchers who like to hit. Yeah. Like Zach Granke is probably against it. Um, other pitchers who, who like to grab the bat. Yeah. Madison Bumgarner is probably against it because that guy can rake, but a guy like David Price, who just shared that his single in spring training where he reached second base on an error was the first time he's ever reached second base in his entire career. (laughs) He's probably like, okay, I've had my fill. I don't need this excitement all the time. I'd rather go back to just worrying about pitching. Um, and there are pitchers who in the 2020 season said, wow, you know, I get to go deeper into like Trevor Bauer mentioned this. I get to go deeper into games. I don't have to come out after five innings because I'm coming to bat. So, and they can just focus on one thing and one thing. Well, so they like it. Yeah. Um, but the, the argument that I've heard Dave Roberts say is that what's more exciting for fans than seeing a hitter come up in that nine spot than a pitcher who can't really swing the bat. Well, I kind of disagree with that for two points. One, I get what they're saying, but honestly, who's going to be batting ninth for most teams anyway? It's not your best hitter. Right. You know what I mean? So yes, are you getting a step above a pitcher? Obviously, yes, but not a huge step up there. You're not getting Mookie Betts, you know, batting in the nine spot, you know, to take the place of a pitcher. You're getting a guy probably batting around the Mendoza line around 200, you know, who may get out or anything anyways. And yeah, there's going to be more runs with a universal DH. So I guess if you're a fan of offense, that's exciting. But clearly they could do that by juicing the ball and adjusting the ball and creating more offense that way as well. (laughs) But to me, in my experience, fans love it when a pitcher gets a hit. Like fans know when Clayton Kershaw's up and he slaps a single somewhere, like they stand up and applaud, like they're very savvy to those things. And to me, that's exciting. Whereas if it was... Austin Barnes looping a single to left field, you know, they would be happy with the run, but I think they'd be more stoked to see Kershaw or a pitcher do it just because it's more of a rare thing. I'll never forget when Bartolo Colon hit the home run in uh, Petco, Petco Park. Yeah. I mean, man, I was like, I watched that live. I was like, you would ne- no one would ever forget it. The radio call was awesome, you know, like that. I, I've, I've been- yeah, and that was his first career home run, right? So yeah. you would never, ever get that moment again. And I think that's more exciting for fans and for Bartolo Colon than, you know, just a hitter, a hitter getting a chance to do that. Yeah, right. No, you make a great, you make a great point against that. Cause I've, I've been in one who has been in favor of the universal DH for the reasons that Dave Roberts said, being a Mets fan, I watched like the way the Mets strategized it against last year. It obviously didn't work because they didn't make the playoffs, but um, it was, it has its factors and then it does take away that element because you you make a great point. When Kershaw comes to bat, people are watching. I I am not gonna lie. Like, I'm much more inclined to watch Kershaw bat nine than maybe seven or eight hitters, depending on who they are. 
the Dodgers lineup's loaded. But, you know, when a pitcher comes up the bat, you are watching that. Yeah, it's it's rare to be a team as deep as the Dodgers who can put Jock Peterson in the DH or Will Smith, your starting catcher in the yeah. DH. You know what I mean? Where where most teams are not putting a very good hitter, you know, ninth in their lineup, the Dodgers can put, you know, some studs up there who can really, really rake. So they were a team that fans might like to see the DH just because it bodes well for them. It gives them an advantage where most teams don't have it just because of the talent they have on that roster and how deep they are. Yeah. But yeah. Um, but I, you know, there's just something sad about never being able to see it again. And the other thing I can tell you is there is a strategy and a risk factor at play for these pitchers. If you're Clayton Kershaw and you have a runner on second and third with two outs and the eight hitters up, you're going to probably walk the eight hitter and load the bases for the pitcher. And now this creates this drama and tension, right? Likely the pitcher won't probably get a hit, but Kershaw has loaded the bases so that if for some reason this pitcher can, you know, get a hold of one, yeah, you know, you just got beat by the pitcher and that's not something you want to see either, but that's a strategy that we will lose and we will never see again. And so um, I think that should come into factor and play too, because otherwise if you, there's a DH at nine or there's a, a hitter at nine, you're just going to pitch to the eighth guy and see what happens. And that's it. Rather than creating the excitement of loading the bases to see if a pitcher can do it. I think that's more exciting in my opinion than, you know, just seeing whatever ninth hitters coming up to bat. Yeah. What are you most excited for about the Dodgers season after watching spring training? Um, yeah, great question. And I'm going to give you a kind of a smart ass answer. I think honestly, I'm most excited to see fans back in the stands and, Okay. I say this from a selfish point of view where I actually enjoyed as a journalist not having fans in the stands selfishly. Uh, and I will say that because we don't have to – when you show up to Dodger Stadium, like I'm sitting in traffic. I'm trying to fight through everything to get there. <laughs> if I'm running late, close to first yeah. pitch – it's a nightmare because you got to battle all these fans and everybody and people are honking and they're screaming and they're horrible and everyone's impatient and they've all waited in line. And then when I get in Dodger stadium, I got to wrap all the way around a lot P walk in, go through security, take elevators through the fans down to the press box um, and all of these things. And then me personally, uh, I'm, uh, one thing I loathe is like massive crowds, especially when those crowds are like rowdy and drunk because I got like a job to do. And if I have to go through these people and they're walking slow or obnoxious or fighting, like I just, I don't like that personally. And so during the <laughs> pandemic at Staples Center and Dodger Stadium, since there's no traffic and there's no parking everywhere anymore, we get to park right next to the stadium. We get to walk in like the closest entrance, the front door. We get VIP access, these great seats. Uh, and it's just amazing. Now, with that said, the game is just different without fans. Um, and yeah, I acknowledge 100%. that. And moreover, when there's no fans, there's thousands of employees that are not working at these big venues that need that income to support their families and themselves and their livelihood. And so for them, I want there to be fans back so that we can all go back to the way it was and our jobs and income and, and all of these things can can level can level out again and people can get back to to work and and support their families like i mentioned so that's the biggest thing that i'm excited about and looking forward to and i'm following this every day 
and working on these stories for opening day, I'm hearing right now, as of today, 11,000 fans would be allowed at Dodger Stadium because we are currently in the the red tier, I believe, Um, the one step up from the most restrictive, which was the purple tier, which we were in for a long time. And I'm hearing that numbers are dropping so quickly that it's very possible by the first week of April that we could go into the next tier up, which I believe is the orange tier, which would then allow something like over 18,000 fans at Dodger Stadium. And then if we could get to the yellow tier very quickly, let, let's say by May, that you know, you're know you one month into the season and you can have 30-something thousand fans, which is you know most stadiums would love to have that in any time. So you're getting much closer to having you know, a sold out crowd again. And so I'm monitoring that and watching yeah. that. So that's honestly, like I said, the smart ass answer. The most thing I'm excited about looking forward to is to have fans back in the stands, uh, not just because it makes the game more exciting. I think it affects the players in a way it creates like the drama and the tension I talked to you about that. You can't just manipulate yeah. with crowd manufactured crowd noise. The DJs are playing over the loudspeakers. So it changes all of that. Um, and it also puts all these people back to work and is changing lives. So I think that's fun too. And then the third thing I'll say about that is in the case of the Dodgers and the same thing with the Lakers, these fans haven't seen their team in a long time, over a year, and they they missed out on a championship live. So getting back in there to see them again, knowing that these guys are champions now and they get to celebrate and cheer and go crazy again, I think it's going to create such an amazing electric atmosphere and environment throughout the season i'm really looking forward to that and then you know think about this brian the last time fans got to watch the dodgers play at dodger stadium was game five of the nlds against the washington nationals in 2019 oh wow no that was a game where clayton kershaw gave up back-to-back home runs in the playoffs for the first time in his career uh they choked uh, you know, Joe Kelly blew it. They didn't bring in Kenley. They, Joe Kelly blew it in the 10th inning to former Dodger Howie Kendrick. They walked away with a sour taste in their mouth and with heartbreak yeah. of another disappointing end. Now they will be allowed back in on April 9th against the same Washington Nationals. Now talk about it coming full circle for the first time yeah. in over a year and a half. And now they've ended the 32-year World Series drought, and they're there as champions, and they're going to get to watch Mookie Betts for the first time live, uh, Trevor Bauer for the first time live in a Dodger uniform. Uh, it's going to be something really, really special. So I'm, that's what I'm most excited about. Oh, man, I right there with you. I cannot wait to be a spectator again watching a Dodger game. That's going to be the most exciting thing that I look forward to. And then, uh, you know, secondly – I, I, you know, big fan of Clayton Kershaw. He gets another opening day nod, which is awesome. Do you feel that this is Kershaw's last year with the Dodgers? Great question. You know how the Dodgers yeah. are with their payroll? No, no, great question. Everything. I would like to say no. I do, well, first of all, we know one thing from talking to Kershaw, and that is he's not done playing yet, so he's not going to retire. Yes. So my biggest fear would be, like, he's he's finally won a championship. And he's ready to retire. That part we know is not true. He's, he's said as he said as such. So now the question really is, is does Clayton Kershaw want to stay a Dodger for the rest of his life, for the rest of his career? Or does he want to go play for the Rangers and be 15 minutes from his house where, 
he will, as a pitcher, he's only starting every five days. He'll be allowed to go coach his kids' little league teams and go to their their games and do those things, which he has talked about. And he's never in his entire career had children of an age where they're in school like Callie Ann is now. Um, and Charlie's going to be yeah. up in soon. And so their school is not going to end until May or June, which means instead of joining him in Arizona, you know, in February and March, and then moving to Los Angeles for April, May, they're probably going to stay in Texas until June and then go meet him, which means Kershaw is going to be without his family and his kids uh, for a couple months of the season. And that can be hard on a guy like Clayton Kershaw, who really, really is, you know, a big, big family oriented guy. And I, t- like I told you, he coaches Callie you know, little league teams and he wants to coach Charlie's little league teams and stuff. So that's the only factor yes. in Clayton Kershaw not being in a Dodger uniform in 2022 is would he rather be 15 minutes from home? Now the Dodgers will, I can tell you this, they will try to bring him back with the payroll and stuff in the yeah. situation and his money coming off the books. Do I think, you know, unless he has a Cy Young caliber season this year, I don't think he's going to be paid in the 30 million per season range again. And so they're going to hope that he'll take like a hometown discount to allow them continue to be competitive, to allow him to end his career in Dodger blue, but also be competing for a world series every single year. That's enticing to Kershaw and something the Rangers as of right now can't ask because they're in the middle of a rebuild. Rebuild. So, I, knowing Kershaw is the competitor, he's going to want to compete in those World Series, and he's going to get an offer, and it's going to be just down to him: is he is you know playing at Dodger Stadium and competing for World Series every year more important, if not the same, as possibly being away from his family for the first couple months of the season uh, while they're finishing up their school year? That's going to be what it really comes down to, and a decision I imagine he's going to grapple with a lot uh, this off season. Yeah. No, that that's true. I mean, I definitely don't want to see Kershaw go away because it's this, it's so similar to what Madison Bumgarner did, leaving the Giants and then going to the Diamondbacks and taking a humongous deal. But you know, and just kind of good. Yeah, well, I was going to say like that. What you're just talking about and why Madison Bumgarner left is it? I believe the Giants wanted Bumgarner to stay. They clearly didn't trade him when they could have got something for him. It was about how much they valued him compared to other teams. Now, I can tell you this, you know, the Rangers aren't very good. They don't have outside of, you know, they don't really have that headliner star that they can go out there and like put on the marquee. And you have a brand new field at Globe Life Stadium, Globe Life Field that I was in, like I said, for the month of October for the entire playoff run and into the World Series that they need to pack. Uh, you know, they'll have fans presumably at limited capacity this season, but then next season it'll be probably full capacity ready to go. And you're going to need to pack it. It's a brand new building. So they might feel like Kershaw is worth 30 million to them so they can sell the hometown kid to the fans of Texas. Whereas the Dodgers may feel like we love you and everything, but you are a, you know, 16, 18 million a year player at this point in your career than 30. And if Kershaw can get 30 and stay home, maybe that's more appealing and enticing to him than just ending his career with the Dodgers. Yeah. If, I, if I'm not mistaken, I, the Texas Rangers are allowing hundred percent passy. I think that's what their owner had mentioned. Yeah. Cause the, to, yeah, the governor that. did that. So you're probably right. I'm just letting you know. Yeah. 
Oh yeah, yeah. no, and, um, I think that's what their owner had come out and said that they're they're going to allow 100. percent And then um, with with that, you're, you're right. Yeah, I mean, I think Ker- I think Kershaw is going to look at that situation because Texas is they trade their their ace, you know, to the White Sox in the begin in the beginning of free agency, and they're they have nothing to compete for for a few years. Yeah, I'm sure that they're going to trade G- Joey Gallo sometime in the next this next year or two. Yeah, I agree. That's why I'm saying Kershaw as far as what he can do and sell off the field and sell season tickets and suites and all of that. It's a very nice stadium. I've been there. So I think that again, Kershaw is going to have probably a bigger offer from the Rangers this off season and very enticing to try to lure him to come back home than you know, a smaller offer from the Dodgers to end his career in Dodger blue. So, um, I, as a fan, I hope he stays with the Dodgers and ends his career with the Dodgers. That's what just feels right. I will say that I think right. that is what's going to happen. I think Kershaw puts the competition and being able to compete for a World Series every year as he starts to get you know older and older and maybe right. slow down a bit and not pitch the level he we're accustomed to rather than potentially staying home. But I don't know. I'm not in his head. I can't tell you what's more important to him. And, and if it is you know, more money to go play at home. Maybe that's something that he won't be able to pass up, but I hope not. We'll see. Yeah, we'll definitely see. Are you excited about Trevor Bauer? I I am excited about Trevor Bauer for multiple reasons. I just read a report yesterday. uh, A baseball analyst thinks Trevor Bauer is going to have a horrible year. I don't agree with that. Um, Does he win the Cy Young? Probably not, but is he going to have a horrible year? I don't think so. Um, I don't look at this small sample size we've seen in these last couple spring training starts as indicative of, you know, what's going to happen in the regular season when you're playing 19 games against the Rockies, Giants, Diamondbacks, you know what I mean? Outside of the Padres, right. those teams are not as good, obviously, as the Padres. I think he'll be able to dominate those those other teams in the NL West. So um, as I wrote in my article when he first signed, to me, this was an absolutely no-brainer deal for the Dodgers. You have a guy that just came off a Cy Young award-winning season. He is a good pitcher regardless of his off-the-field antics and his social media behavior. Um, I do think that that's important. I do think that he needs to atone for some of the things he's done. He needs to learn from them and be better and educate himself. He's said as much, whether he means it or not. I think he's the type of guy and the type of personality that likes being controversial for, for whatever reason. He likes stirring the pot. He likes creating that controversy, especially on social media. Uh, I can't tell you how many times I've yelled out loud, like just stop responding to the trolls, Trevor, and all of this will go away. You know what I mean? Just let it go, have thicker skin because you're letting them win. If you engage with them, in my opinion, I know he doesn't think that, but um, the Kevin, the Kevin Durant. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) he's a really smart guy. I can tell you that he's a really, really smart, intelligent guy. And some of the things he says and claims to believe, I don't even know if he really does claim and believe it, or he's just trying to be controversial to get clicks or likes or stir the pot or whatever it may be. I really believe that. But to my point, you have a Cy Young award-winning pitcher. You have um, a, a, a rival in the San Diego Padres that got loaded in their starting rotation. And that whether you think you needed Trevor Bauer or not, uh, you didn't to compete, but does he make you, better than the Padres starting rotation and better than them overall. Yes. Whereas you could make a point that without Trevor Bauer, that the Padres rotation was better. And I happen to be one that thought without Trevor Bauer, 
and not knowing what David Price and Kershaw would be, that I would have rather I roll with the Padres starting rotation over the Dodgers, not their bullpen, not their lineup, not other things, not defensively, but starting rotation alone without Bauer, I would have liked that. But you have a player in Bauer who is from LA, went to UCLA, his family and his parents and friends are still here. He wanted to be here. He wore a Dodger hat like the entire offseason and was campaigning and asking Dodger fans to recruit him and things like that. So, And you have a guy in Trevor Bauer that is all about analytics. He has an entire analytics team for himself to study himself, to be better, to do all of these things. And you have arguably the best analytics and sabermetrics department in all of baseball here in Los Angeles under Andrew Friedman. It made way too much sense to not bring back, to not have Trevor Bauer here um, this season or even beyond that simply because you don't like his social media behavior or his off the field behavior. Uh, It just made too much sense. So especially, and what I wrote about is not on a Garrett Cole nine-year deal, but on a Mm. short-term deal with higher AAV, which he himself said he wanted. So to me, everything lined up that made this the absolute perfect marriage between the Dodgers and Trevor Bauer. So yes, for those reasons, I thought it was a no-brainer to bring him here, and I'm excited to see him pitch because what I can tell you is the Dodgers flirted with fire in the NLCS against the Atlanta Braves last season. Um, (laughs) and, And to be honest with you, in the World Series as well. But in the NLCS, for sure, uh, I believe, and I've said this repeatedly, first of all, the players themselves said that the Atlanta Braves were the second best team they've seen in the last eight years outside of the 2018 Boston Red Sox. That was the best team that they said they faced. And then the Braves last season, the NLCS, second best team they faced. That was a consensus from the players. So the Braves are legit good and they got better this year. And yeah. I don't think the Dodgers go down 3-1 and have to win three straight games to come from behind to win that series if Clayton Kershaw doesn't have that back injury and have his start pushed where he was supposed to start, I believe, game two, and it got pushed back to like game four, yeah. I believe. So that that played a huge role in it because you didn't have the starting pitching depth with David Price opting out and two rookies in Dustin May and Tony Gonsolin that you now have this year. You had, right. you know, you had Walker Bueller and, and Clayton Kershaw. And then outside of that, a lot of question marks. And as you saw throughout the postseason, they went with an opener in Dustin Mayer, Tony Gonsolin, and then straight to the bullpen early. And to me, that's playing with fire. And they were very, very lucky to get past the Braves because as you saw, one little back injury to Kershaw that pushed his start back in that series could have been disastrous and cost you a world series. And then what we saw in the world series is if, if Kevin cash doesn't take out Blake Snell in game six, you're staring at a game seven where you don't have Justin Turner because he's got COVID and potentially other people because of contact tracing and who knows what would have happened there and what pitchers you know you would have been able to to go with and, and be available. So now you have David Price back. Now you have Trevor Bauer. I don't look at this necessarily in the regular season because the Dodgers will probably throw ten different starting pitchers at some point through the marathon one sixty two game regular season. But in the postseason, 
you're going to be able to go Walker Bueller, Clayton Kershaw, game two, Trevor Bauer, game three, David Price, game four, uh, if he's you know healthy and back to form. And that's all you need. And then behind them, you have Dustin May, Tony, yeah. o- Tony Gonsolin, Julio Arias. Like, no one can touch that, in my opinion, in a seven-game series. Nobody. So that's what I'm more excited it, to see that pitching depth is in the seven game series. And I think that I think that Urias behind Bueller is their best. I mean, their second best pitcher. I mean, watching watching him in the playoffs, man, that guy is he is just breaking into it now. I think he's just getting so comfortable to where him and Bueller are just gonna be dominating the NOS in the next five years together. I think Dustin May might even surpass him just as a starting pitcher because yeah. I think the biggest thing with Urias and it's happening even this year in spring training is he's having those first inning blues for some reason, for whatever reason, he seems to be better out of the bullpen, even if that means coming in the second inning. And like the Dodgers are are like the Rays in the sense that they like to experiment. They like to go new age. They like to see it. So depending on what lineup someone's throwing at you, if they're heavy lefties or heavy righties to start, they have no problem going with an opener and then throwing a Rias you know, second inning on until he's, you know, gets tired of throwing enough pitches. So um, I agree with you. It just, if Arias is able to get out of those first inning woes and we'll see, then absolutely he's going to be dominant. But if he still has those and struggles, then he's going to be a guy that comes in after the opener as many teams are now starting to do and head in that trend. So. Yeah, no, I I agree. And uh, the Walker last thing on Bueller, I mean, when he, I mean, when he signed that deal, I, I, Blew him up because I'm, you know, like I said, a biased Mets fan, and you know I thought he was going to go to the Mets. On Bauer, you mean? But uh, I think you said Bueller. On Bauer, Bauer, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh no, sorry, I might have said uh, Bueller. My bad, Bauer. When uh, when uh, you know, I was like, I was upset at first. I I love the deal for him. Looking at it, you know, a week later and stuff, I was like, I love the deal for him, and I love. I have really hoped that more deals are like this, short term, more money. It's better for the teams and it's better for the players. I think it's absolutely, I hope this is what baseball. Well, yes and no. I get, I get both sides. Um, So Scott Boris is the one who's on the opposite end of the spectrum. Scott Boris is the guy who says as your agent, I want to get you the most financial security and years in history because there's so many unknowns on the field and off the field, um, especially as a pitcher. We can't tell you how many pitchers, with an elbow injury. I mean, now with surgeries and stuff, a lot of guys can come back and bounce back with the rehabs, but some elbow injuries end your career. You know, look at Sandy Koufax, look at, you know, Tommy John, look at guys that, you know, their careers are ended by injuries. So as a pitcher, like to sign a short-term deal and then you blow out your elbow, you you probably just, you know, cost yourself a lot of money in the long run. Unfortunately, Uh, I would see it's, it's, we see it less common with position players. But, you know, look at the NFL or a sport that's a little more violent. Look at a guy like Alex Smith or Dak Prescott. Now, thankfully, Dak Prescott was able to, you know, still sign a big deal despite his injury. But, you know, Alex Smith, he doesn't have a team and who knows what's going on with him. He made that great comeback and was comeback player of the year. But, you know, had he had a longer deal with more financial security or something, it's a lot different. So I get both sides of it. But, yeah, if you're a younger player who believes in yourself, these short-term deals are amazing for everybody involved. Yeah, like I mean, for instance, what Acuna signed a was it eight years, like 111 million. That's such a deal. bargain deal I right mean, now. It's such a bargain deal. Oh my god! When he did that, my first inclination was, 
why are the Dodgers not doing that with Walker Bueller, Cody Bellinger, and Corey Seager <laughs> right now? Like right now. I, and the answer to that yeah. question is because of Scott Boris, because he represents two of those players. And he knows there's no financial benefit for him to do that now. So that's the answer. But yeah, I mean, the White Sox did the same thing with a guy who hadn't even played in one major league game. They just locked up their top prospect yeah. long term, you know, and the Padres have now done that with Fernando Tatis. And in 10 years, that could be a bargain deal. So same thing with Mookie Betts's deal if he continues to perform. Yeah, and exactly. I, re- I really think, well, like, I, I can't imagine how much more these long, I mean, Francis, Francisco Lindor is about to go in from the Mets, so I'm pretty sure. And I just, you know, with the long-term deals at or, at an older age, I really think it it hurts the players and the teams at, in a certain aspect. Like Albert Pujols, this last nine years of his, his first 10 years of his career, I mean, he's, he's arguably the best player of this these last 20 years, probably. But for, for and, Pujols uh, in that case, why would that hurt the player, you think? I mean, I guess he he's made his money. It just he's just a forgotten player. Like, you know, I'm not saying his his legacy's forgotten, but you know, Albert Pujols was once this. He was the best player in baseball for six seven years, and then ever since 2013, he really hasn't played more than 100 games. Right, and so and it's it's right. Sad. And so for him, he's thankful he probably signed that massive contract with the angels because probably he'd end up like adrian gonzalez where if they could trade him they would have traded him long ago and you know at some point maybe a team's willing to just pay his money and cut him or wait till his salary runs out and honestly like do you think it's a coincidence that you know his wife said he's retiring after this year no because honestly there's probably not going to be a team that you know is going to sign him to a one-year show me deal as a dh or something after this so for him it makes sense and it worked out especially at that point in your career if you can get it which is the same thing with Mookie Betts that you know year 10 11 12 of the Mookie Betts deal is probably not going to look great for the Dodgers um you know the same thing with the Phillies and Bryce Harper the same thing with Garrett Cole they're banking on you know getting something out of the first five years of the deal hopefully a championship in order to make that pay the dividends but I would tend to agree with you but I just don't see why that would make sense for players um, because I've seen too many times, especially with Adrian Gonzalez, for example, where your career is cut short, even though you still believe you can play and want to play because other teams got young guys coming up and they don't want you anymore. And your salary is coming to an end. So you just kind of forced out. Look at Andre Ethier. He, I think he was forced out too. Yeah. And you know, they, they both made, a pretty good significant amount of money, but probably they could have probably made more. You're right. But for like, what I, what I mean is I want players to get paid earlier, you know, like, ta- like, like maybe, Tatis, like, maybe or yeah, something like that. Because Pohol signs that deal at age 31 or 32 yeah. years old. Miguel Cabrera. He's, he's going through the same thing. These are two of the best players in the last 25 years, you know, who, who are, who are kind of, I mean, they're, they're forced and happily forced because they're making a lot of money. But I, I want I want players to make more of these more money earlier than, than uh, like sort of what uh you know what same did with the uh, uh, Braves Acuna. Yeah, I agree. I agree with so, that. Um, locking up guys when they're younger for long term, if you want them in the same uniform for a decade or so, I think that's smart. Um, I 
I, I mean, it's up to everybody. If you're a player and you're over 30 and you can get a massive long-term deal like that, like good for you, like take it. But as a fan of yeah. the Dodgers uh, or any team for that matter, as a fan, I would not want my team to sign a guy over 30 to a long-term deal like the angels always do and end up with these bad deals because <laughs> 90% of the time they don't end up working out they for don't. you, you know, in the second half of the deals. That's just, you know, like they said, father time is undefeated. So Usually those deals don't end up working out <laughs> and I just don't see the sense in them. And I'm really glad Andrew Friedman is a guy who also sees it that way again, which makes the Trevor yeah. Bauer deer deal. No brainer. I hope he pitches amazing. He wins another world series with the Dodgers. I hope he stays for the full three years of his deal. And then I'll put, they'll put him at what? 33, I think, or something like that. 34. Yeah. 32, yeah. And then let him yeah. go sign another deal with somebody else and end his career with somebody else. If that's what happens. So. I'm totally yeah, in favor of And then that. with the and like with Mookie Betts, I mean what he's 26 when he signs it, now he's 27. I mean it's a, a that's a no-brainer, you know. He's going to be 38 yeah. when he, that deal ends, not 42 or Well, 41. he'll definitely be in decline the last few years of the deal, especially defensively, but right. But you've got a World Series out of him finally. Like that alone yeah. pays for first half of the deal probably and hopefully you can win another in the next few years and it's paid for itself so that part will be a little frustrating we'll see what happens with that the Dodgers are always the Dodgers somehow find a way to move bad contracts I mean look at look at look at people were people were coming after me with pitchforks because I said the Matt Kemp trade to the Padres you know seven years ago was genius and so smart and I would do it 10 times out of 10 they were so pissed because they're thinking with their heart and not their head and then as you watch the way Matt Kemp's career went after that, I was proven right. That was an amazing deal to get rid of that money for the Dodgers. So That's hopefully, rough. yeah, hopefully they don't do, you know, that to Kershaw. <laughs> Just give him like a nice, like, thank you for your service. Here's a massive contract that's going to handcuff us for years deal. Hopefully they don't do that. Hopefully there's something that both sides can work out because they both want to remain in the relationship um, to go back to your question about other things I'm excited about. Cause I know you're probably asking more of a baseball than like a broader, the smart ass answer I gave you. So just some things that like fans who are interested in the game um, can look at. I'm excited to see if Gavin Lux can win the starting second base job and play more time there than a platoon with Chris Taylor, for example, and become the guy that we all thought he was going to be heading into the 2020 season before the pandemic kind of ruined it. He's definitely showing it in spring training. Um, Gavin Lux has been, uh, he's hitting almost 400, I believe. He's like second or third on the team in hits in spring. Uh, He appears to finally get back to where he was in that 2019 year where he was just like probably the most dominant AAA player, you know, we've ever seen arguably. So um, that'll be one thing I'm excited to see what happens. Um, I'm excited to see how these bullpen pieces fit together. I'm not too high on Kenley Jansen, to be honest with you, but I'm very high on like a guy like Bruce Dar Gratterall. I really want to see if, um, Corey Knebel can, can come back and, and return to form. Uh, plus some of these, like, like Blake Trinan now has another year with the Dodgers. Yeah, yeah. If Joe Kelly can, can get back to where he's been, you know, you have a very stacked bullpen with a lot of big names in there. And you won't necessarily need Kenley Jansen to be the peak closer he was. And as we all saw right. in the World Series, you know, 
you know, the wheels can come off very quickly. So you have other options. So I'm excited to see if the bullpen can actually coalesce and come together and be this like dominant unit because they definitely have the potential, but it also involves a lot of older guys returning to form. Uh, especially a guy like Brandon Morrow. Like if Brandon Morrow yeah, yeah. can just give you like one good month of throwing like high nineties, a hundred again, like that would just be amazing. And so I'm really rooting for a guy like Brandon Morrow. I'm rooting for a guy like Corey, Corey Nebel. Um, I'm excited for those guys. Um, what else? I, yeah. I'm, uh, I'm excited to see what David Price looks like. I think the time away. I mean, there's a couple guys on this team who haven't thrown a pitch since 2019. It'll be very close to two years for some of these guys before throwing a pitch. I hope that that only helps their their arms and things like that and avoiding dead arm and, and makes the arm more fresh. So I know the Dodgers yeah. are going to maybe make David Price throw like 20 games tops. You know what I mean? Right, yeah. I mean, to definitely save his arm and, you know, to get him ready for a postseason because, I mean, I mean, now that he's taking the year off, especially from, you know, having that 2019 year that he had, it was uh, it's it's definitely better for him. Yeah, Nelson Nelson's another guy that's in that same category. He really hasn't thrown a pitch in two years. Like, I really want to see what those guys do. I'm excited to see that. So those are like the baseball storylines. I'm excited to see. I'm excited to see if Cody Bellinger, now that he's adjusted his stance, could have a bounce back year closer to his MVP year in 2019. I'll be honest, and I'm I'm having a one on one interview with him on Wednesday. So I'll find out more, but I honestly am not too high on that fact that he's going to be able to bounce back and do that simply because I think pitchers figured him out after 2019. And that's why we saw him struggle a little bit in 2020. So I just don't think bringing the stance back to where it was, especially if they throw high and fast with velocity at his hands, which is their like way to get him out when he's in that stance is really going to work. Yeah. Uh, now they've unjuiced the balls. So I think his numbers will drop a little bit. So it'll be interesting to see those things. And obviously the most exciting thing would be, can they repeat as champions? Um, which right. will be an ongoing storyline throughout the year. I'm excited to see the clashes with the Padres. It reminds me of the Yankees, Red Sox in the early 2000s. So those are the things on the baseball side. I'm excited to see pan out this year. Yeah, no, I'm definitely excited to see all this too. You know, it's, baseball's back you know nba is about to start it's or uh you know finish up the rest of the year here and uh a lot to go on there i want to be uh mindful of your time what do you think the dodgers record is going to be um going going into the playoffs here or uh, at the end of the season? season yeah so um i don't know i will say that i will go out on a limb and say that if most people can remain healthy no big catastrophic injuries knock on wood um, they right. will go for that 105 win record. Wow. I, oh, nice. I think they will be right up there with it. I think they'll be anywhere from 103 to 110. And the reason I'm not giving you a firm answer, I'm giving you more of a range is going to be because of health and injuries. Yeah. And so, you know, let's readdress this conversation right. at the end of every month into the season. And if, you know, Walker Bueller's out for an extended period of time or somebody else, Justin Turner's out for months. I will adjust it accordingly. But if everyone's healthy, I think they could hit 110. And if there's a bunch of injuries, you're going to go lower to closer to 100, 103. So I think they'll be in that range, yeah, 103 unforced. to 110. Yeah, now breaking 100 games, they're going to be a monster team. It's going to be exciting to watch them. 
Absolutely. I'm excited for them. I'm glad that anything. And uh, we'll definitely have you on in the halfway part of the season. To, uh, yeah, and then I'll readjust it. To, we'll bring this back up, and uh, I'll either readjust or assess may, may, from there. Maybe it'll be 120 games. We don't know. It definitely, yeah, <laughs> if, if everybody stays healthy. That's another reason why getting Trevor Bauer was such a no-brainer because it allows you to have so much starting pitching depth. And that, Brian, is the key to – winning a hundred games to being fresh in the yeah. postseason, to uh, winning your division eight straight years. It is having starting pitching depth. You can have the best offense in the world, but if you don't have the starting pitching, you know, it's going to be tough to win games. And so now that you have like the people are talking about potentially eight starting pitchers, like you're going to be able to just throw, and you have a 10 day DL, you're going to be able to go, you know, Two or three starts, then oh, take yeah. 10 days off, relax, make sure you don't get dead arm, and you will not lose a drop yeah. of beat because you have so many good guys in that starting rotation. Right. And, yeah, no, it's going to be a – they're going to have a heck of a season, and we'll definitely have you back on before. Uh, before you do go, is there anything else you'd like to plug? Your podcast? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, I'll plug a few things. So, obviously, go to NBCLosAngeles.com, read my articles, columns, uh, I try to keep it interesting. Uh, obviously, I post you know daily game stories, recaps, previews uh, using wire services, or sometimes I'll write them myself. But like I'm trying to keep things a little more interesting this year. Some opinion pieces, some columns, some fun articles. So go check out everything there. Follow me on uh, social media at Michael J Duarte. And uh, if you are a Lakers fan, I know we talked mostly Dodgers here, but if you're a Lakers fan, we have a podcast called Believe in Lakers. B-L-E-A-V on the Believe Podcast Network um, that we have a couple sponsors for that I co-host with Nick Hamilton. So if you're a big Lakers fan, we have amazing guests, former players on the show, uh, journalists, beat writers, uh, comedians, people in the entertainment industry. It's a fun show to, to give a listen to, and we always come back and talk Lakers on that show. So definitely check out that show. And then the final plug will be for my uh, USC Trojans who advanced to the Sweet 16. Uh, I will plug them and hope that uh, with Evan Mobley, one of the top players in the country and the top players in this upcoming NBA draft, that they can get to the the final four and maybe even win a chip. That'd be amazing. But um, that'll be the last plug. That would be awesome. I mean, to have USC go, it'd be pretty amazing. Um, and uh, my, man, thanks uh, so much for your time today, Michael. I really appreciate it. You got it, it. Brian. And keep up the running. I, I follow you. So I know that you're you're running and doing long distances and, <laughs> and doing that. I will tell you something as a yeah. former runner, uh, both high school and collegiate in cross country and track. And as a former marathon runner, I'm looking at my medals from all my marathons right now on my wall. Like keep it up. It's so good. It's so healthy. But I can also tell you like it's so hard as I'm sure you've discovered to like keep muscle on and like keep yeah. like the shape oh, you want. And then also be able to be fast and go, you know, have endurance and distance. It's almost like you have to sacrifice one for the other, but you've done a great job of doing both. So I think that's good. And uh, one of these days, man, we'll go out for coffee. Uh, gotta uh, sell you, you that, can do that or go out for a jog, go for a run. That'd be cool too. Let's, let's do both. Why not, man? We'll you got it. You got shop. it. I like it. <laughs> Thanks again for you your time. It. Thanks, Brian. I hope you guys all enjoyed that interview with Michael Duarte, Sirza Parte, 
And I am not a comedian and that was not a great pun, but uh, I hope you guys all enjoyed that interview with Michael. The guy is awesome. He's very knowledgeable and he has an incredible backstory. If you guys haven't uh, heard his podcast with me, go back to episode one to listen to him and his backstory. It's really incredible on how he got to where he is today, working at NBC Sports. You know, he has had a pretty cool ride and his story is definitely one that if you don't know where you're at in your life, you can always find a way because that's what Michael did. And now you guys heard him here today. He covers the Lakers, he covers the Dodgers, and he covers the USC. And he gets to do what he loves. And that's what this podcast is all about. Bringing those stories out so you can listen and be inspired and do some amazing things in your life today. Guys, please uh, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast Share it with those that love sports because I'm bringing all kinds of sports on, whether USC, boxing, football, baseball, basketball, anything else. I've even interviewed skiers. I am bringing all those here. Please share it with your fellow sports fans. And don't forget to check us out on YouTube live Tuesday mornings, 9 a.m. Pacific time. I will be going live with Ken Griffin. We will talk sports cars. We will talk sports and we talk some lifestyle advice. Check us out there. You can ask us questions live. Uh, The link will be here in the show notes for our next episode. You guys have a great day. Thank you.